We're back. We're back. We have a special guest today. Hi. Hi, Natasha. Natasha Stagg, um, friend of the pod. Yeah. And author of... Not um, one, but two books. Two books. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The first being uh, a novel called Surveys mm-hmm. that came out a few years ago. Right. And now a recent release of um, called Sleeveless Fashion Image Media New York 2011 to 2019 uh, com- compilation of essays. Right. And that some fiction. And some fiction. Yeah. yeah. I like that when we have like a uh, guest who's written something, we do the NPR voice thing. We're like, hello. <laughs> Author of. <laughs> um, and this came out recently. Right. And uh-huh. it's like stuff that had been published before some of for them yeah for the most part yeah. yeah um how how do you feel um i feel good about the about the the book <laughs> um i feel i was really really anxious about it coming out and now i haven't it's fantastic and it's being you. very well received yeah it's been well received and i'm actually surprised but i don't know why there's nothing that controversial in it but i just feel like people love to talk shit about like millennial others down yeah. sure yeah <laughs> and it has been described as very millennial but yeah. i don't take that as a put down really because you write about the internet yeah because I, I am a millennial yeah, yeah. yeah. But i would even dispute that it's like inherently millennial i think you're dealing with topics that like are relevant to millennials but i feel like as a writer i like was very very impressed because i feel like it, you have like a very timeless writing style. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that yeah. is so nice. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it uh, very much. Thanks. I read it when I got it, and then I revisited it on the on the plane back yeah. to New York. Um, when did you move to New York, Natasha? <laughs> so it's 2011. A, it's oh, also okay. very New York, right? And it's you, the the full title is like. It ends with 2011 to 2019. I never say the full title, so thank you for that. But yeah. I just call it yeah. And then I think a lot of people think it's called Sorry. Right. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> the cover. What has, is the image what, on the cover? Yeah, what's going on with that? Is um, this you? It's, no, it's an artwork oh. by... Oh, my God. I'm going to forget her name. It's, like, in there. Um, I always forget her name, but she's actually really cool. I didn't know about her before. Josephine Pride. But she does a lot of, like kind of instagrammy looking photography but it looks there's great. something strange about each photo i don't mm-hmm. know it's just artwork um and you are from arizona mm-hmm. yes we're both from the southwest yeah oh, wow yeah did you move from lot lizards yeah, yeah. <laughs> scorpions yeah um where did you move to new york from from tucson wow um, did you go to school in tucson well i actually was like a I think I moved to Michigan when I was 14 and then moved back to Tucson when I was 22, uh-huh. I guess. And because I was like so broke that I just, right. I was like, I know I can afford to live there. Right. And Tucson's and cool. I had friends there still. So I was kind yeah. of, I don't know. I just moved there to sort of kill time and figure it out and then ended up going to grad school there. Oh. What cool. did, so I did go what to did school there. What did you do for grad school? Creative writing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why did you move to New York? Um, 
why not i don't i actually didn't mean to at first i was visiting my sister and kind of also like was so indecisive about where what i was doing next yeah yeah i I took all my stuff with me to new york to visit my sister because i was like i'm moving but i don't know where yet yeah and then an apartment opened up in her building so i just stayed do you think you'll live in new york forever i think i will you seem like it, it suits you. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Or do, that's you, like, do you also think you're going to live Yeah, forever? definitely. Do you? I guess so. Well, I mean, okay, the thing is, like, you guys are from the Southwest. I'm from New Jersey, so it's like a no brainer because, yeah. like, you moved mm-hmm. to the closest city next to your shitty suburb. Yeah. So it makes sense that you were, like, in LA. I guess I'm probably going to stay here out of, like, I mean, a lack of imagination. <laughs> well, it's the only place that I feel like I can live, like, I actually can't. competently live and feel like a real person. Yeah. Like, like yeah. I have any agency. Of <laughs> but you lived a few places before. Yeah. So, I mean, I almost wish I did that uh, to get them out of the way to like know. Sure. To end up here. And yeah. Like really I really feel. like ended ended up here. Um, but it was the best decision I ever made. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> mm. um, wait, can I ask you a dumb question before we talk about the book? Yeah. Why do you and your sister have Russian names? For those who don't know, Natasha's oh, a twin and her sister I, is called Sonia. Yeah. Yeah. I am oh. asked that question a lot and I actually don't know the answer. My parents okay. just liked those names. Oh, wow. Okay. They weren't like literature buffs or anything. No, I think they had not even read War and Peace. Okay. I'm pretty wow. sure. They just... Uh, they just liked the names. It cool. was like a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I wish I was Russian. I mean, you're like basically for Russian. Thank you. <laughs> you. Sort of look Russian. Thanks. We're like three Russian girls just yeah. sitting in the neolib war room smoking <laughs> cigarettes and talking smoking about books. Smoking cigs yeah. indoors. Yeah. Because um, the impression I get from Sleeveless is like um, of someone whose like life opened up for them in New York in a way. Yeah, it definitely you know, did. Could almost say New York's a good character in the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, sort of a love story. Yeah. yeah. Would you say like New York's kind of like your boyfriend? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's your boyfriend who's always gaslighting you, mm-hmm. yeah. Torturing um, you. Yeah. So it the the book is really interesting because it's like it deals with all these themes that we're familiar with in this like very detached way. And also like, I felt like a lot of the fiction stuff brought kind of introduced in a very unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Was that like a conscious effort or did you feel like you were like, is the fiction stuff like loosely adapted from autobiographical material or not really? Or Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is a lot of it isn't, I think it's, it's like, everything is sort of in the same tone like I know what you mean it's like a little bit unreliable even when it's essays yeah like it's a little bit sarcastic about information yeah I think that's just the way I write (laughs) like I don't I don't think it's that intentional it's just kind of like that's my personality and it comes out in my writing Mm -hmm. or like can't be serious about anything yeah why is that I don't, that's <laughs> no, a very Russian that's like quality. A, that's true. Deep psychological question. I don't know. I I've always had that. Curious. Are, 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 I mean, you, are you like afraid of identification? Like the in kind of the like. It's funny because you know, like if you're like in a room full of Americans and somebody is like surveying them and they're like, raise your hand if you're whatever. I always cringe because I'm like, I don't want to identify myself or 
my position, which is ironic because I'm so like opinionated on the internet, but like in real life, it's really kind of like scary to take a stance to like be categorized or something. I guess. Yeah. I mean, that is scary. Yeah. But you also like, you are serious in it, but you're not like overwrought. I, I am. Yeah. As a writer. I mean, I try to take writing seriously. I don't think I'm very, I'm not like a serious journalist. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think I could ever write something that could be. Well, journalists are scum. <laughs> yeah. No, no I don't know. Kidding. I appreciate good journalism, but I, when I read it, I don't think of, I don't think like this is something I could do right. one day. And the same with like theory, like well, critical theory. Like in one of your essays, which is about like micro trends, mm-hmm. you sort of also talk about kind of the like, uh, I, <laughs> you said like like you notice a trend of like journalism basically losing any accountability or like becoming more and more like meaningless. A prevalent trend I've noticed in fashion lately is that journalistic integrity is something now deemed outmoded by brands and corporate-run magazines and that the readers are pissed off. Trending now is outrage at trend forecasting. Yeah. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) But then you also made the point that, like, people who lash out against that trend are kind of implicated themselves. Like, they have dirty hands, too. Right, everybody's kind of participating. I mean, that's sort of social media in general. Yeah. Like, if you're speaking out about something then you're also giving it attention and like involving yourself in it somehow right. so you're saying that you can't like it's kind of impossible to take a moral stance because then you basically reveal yourself as like complicit and hypocritical <laughs> is it possible i think it's possible i think it's just um it's becoming trickier to do it publicly without being tied to like whatever public platform you're yeah. you're doing it on or you know like responding to something that you don't have all the information about or you know it's just like it's a trickier conversation when you're not just like in the privacy of your own home there's a lot of other factors that should be taken into account yeah and and there's just so much pressure to respond to everything before you even before it's even possible to have all of the information yeah bonnet core (laughs) do you remember that of course i remember that i thought that would have been a lasting trend too yeah i think we still only see the the hmm. reverberations of bonnet core exactly (laughs) it's still very much um um, in the essay mm. called Consulting, you said reality TV, like political ca- campaigning is all form, all narrative devices were tricked and then tricked again until the only redeemable character is the one we started out hating. Dishonesty becomes a scale and it's kind of like on reality after Trump. And like you can see Trump as a figure that has become like at least like not on a political level, but maybe on like a philosophical level more um, sympathetic than his detractors because he is so like funny and tells it like it is even (laughs) though he's like an awful person i don't think i've ever found him funny or sympathetic you've never found him funny funny. like laughing at him being stupid maybe but i don't think he's ever like told a good joke no definitely but as like 
a figure and like his the output well like i mean he has like when you when you look at his tweets like that we've repeated many times on this podcast when he talks about like barney frank with his nipples protruding in his white shirt or like how he's never seen a skinny person drink diet coke (laughs) like those are jokes but it's impossible to say whether he meant it intentionally or if he's just so kind of like instinctually like firing stuff off right which is kind of like that's the the reality tv kind of humor too yeah where you're kind of just laughing at everyone Mm -hmm. like nobody's a really intelligent reality tv star no they all have like the plausible the plausible deniability of being like stupid yeah right even if they are like somebody like uh bethany frankel or whatever who is obviously she seems very intelligent she seems smart by comparison yeah but then she also is prone to like emotional breakdowns and all the other things that everyone else is prone to that yeah. makes them reality stars right. and so is donald trump who is a reality star one yeah of the like first, first and foremost one of the first reality stars yeah right. and was an actor before that basically with Home the alone. wrestling yeah. and like yeah. his walk-on cameo. he's a performer right he is entertaining maybe he's not deliberately funny yeah but i mean i i think his. he's funny but like i again i haven't like really like clarified for myself on what level um and in that same essay you say but without the moral compass of the newspaper we are all in some horrifying reality show about who has who was the most credulous at any given moment and that reminded me of the fact that like i think we all wanted like an end to like experts and gatekeepers and standard bearers but we didn't really bargain for what that would actually entail because right. now there are no standards and no boundaries or gate well, when, gates or whatever when he was running in 2016 w- one of his main like things was that he's he didn't use teleprompters right you, and know? you can tell he doesn't yeah and that like imbued everything he said with this kind of like unprotected like he's he's doing it raw yeah. you know like and that was like <laughs> um made it seem like more libidinal and like exciting right for his yeah and then it brings up the question of like what what would happen if none of those people use teleprompters Mm -hmm. they would be possibly even more horrendous (laughs) do you think hillary is gonna run again i have no idea yeah (laughs) where were you on election night were you in new york i was in new york i was at a um talk hall event (laughs) fun yeah shout out to them yeah were they they like doing it live yeah it was not fun yeah i like like i showed up to the later half like once it became clear that he was gonna win that i think uh kate berlant was doing in la at that point oh you were in la and like the mood was very like it's not there funny. were like many comedy events yeah because people were like ha 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 yeah what could go wrong right. <laughs> Were, like the so, stock market started plummeting well yeah i remember when that happened were you one of those people who was like horrified when trump when it became clear that trump was gonna win or were you kind of like sitting back in horror at all the people who were like freaking out and tearing up i was horrified okay. i actually did not expect it at all okay. but i'm also not like i'm not a big follower of politics honestly I yeah just, i know you know have known who donald trump is forever and was like that doesn't seem plausible yeah yeah like this person plays an evil character on tv right it's like a joke right (laughs) he's he's the joker (laughs) (laughs) reality is just a joke trump (laughs) yeah um 
but it like it it also you know brings to the fore the like, kind of the reality that now even like a term like fake news has no uh meaning like right. what does that even mean um in another essay called the internet as horror you say we have no need for fiction now when nothing can be proven to be uh um non-fiction or you say have we no need for fiction now um can you answer try to answer your own question do you feel like there is a need for fiction or like does it still have a place or a purpose and if so what is the form that it I mean just take? coming from like a personal outlook I love reading fiction mm-hmm. still and I will always have a need for it myself and I love movies mm-hmm. you know like I I think I have a need or not a need but you know a desire for like fiction like a compulsion a yeah. craving yeah and I also for story for storytelling yeah 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 i also would rather write fiction than nonfiction. i think but i've just been writing nonfiction for a long time because that's what most people read and these are mostly but even the fiction pieces. that people consume nowadays auto fiction mm-hmm. right it's like it doesn't feel like fiction well there's yeah there's definitely more of a blurring and between the two films too are not like are becoming less and less of like original ideas and it's all about like um like repurposing things that have already existed or making like hyper personal stories yeah rather than like taking a risk to actually like i tell guess a mumblecore story. is sort of auto fiction exactly usually. yeah um or you, something like the souvenir is very much auto fiction right yeah like that's not mumblecore but what is that like is there a new well, cinematic term for that kind of thing I don't know. Well, yeah, Mumblecore, I guess, like, technically doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't? It's over? As a movement, it was, like, a referred, I, I think, to, like, a brief period of, like, Joe Swan, Joe Swanberg and stuff. Yeah. Um, but the style, obviously, still pervades. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think about autofiction? I, I think that... Because surveys, probably, your novel is very, like, not... Uh, it doesn't feel personal no i mean it's very much like a story i think the first half of surveys could be like almost called auto fiction and then the last half is entirely made up yeah like not based on personal experience but then this book is surveys is about a girl who becomes like an internet celebrity essentially she enters into like a influencer couple Right, and that's never happened to me. Yeah. (laughs) It's very imaginative. Right, thank you. At the time, it seemed like it was. Now it's so sort of like common story. Um, Yeah, and you actually say like this part, like right in in the forward of the book, you were like, I was in retrospect, like describing an influencer when the terminology like didn't exist as such. Right. Which is like, influencers, should we talk about influencers? Yeah. What is that even? That's I mean, a big. I mean, the themes of sleeveless are like. I mean, celebrity is is a whole like portion of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously like the internet and fashion and language and stuff like that. Do you want to be famous? Do you want to be famous? I used to want to be famous. Now I think the more I've studied famous people, mm-hmm. I'm like terrified of exposure. Yeah. Right. Um, but also because 
the modern world is not as friendly to famous people as it used to be when I wanted to be famous. You know, yeah, like you when could we were kids. Reserve like, like a, a modicum of privacy. I mean, you make the distinction between like an influencer and an it girl, citing like the ultimate example of the it girl, which is like Chloe Sevigny, who yeah. like, you know, somehow always showed up at the right place, but very often didn't show up. Mm-hmm. Right. I feel, yeah. And so many of those stories, it's just like, I feel like my life is sort of feeding me back into my own it's like the self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy of like I was very interested in it girls and influencers as they were showing up in my life like it girls when I was younger and maybe because I could have I imagined I could one day be one it was like an attainable goal because mm-hmm. right. I was never going to be an actor you know yeah. I was like what if I was just popular you know yeah. popular enough to be famous that would be incredible and well, everybody would love it did you did you want to be <laughs> everyone would love it. did everyone you want to be famous for the sake of being famous or did you want to be like famous on the strengths of your like contribution to like culture or intellectual life or something because I think when I was very young it didn't matter to me what okay. I would be famous for and then eventually I was I mean still pretty young thinking about myself as a famous writer mm-hmm. right. <laughs> you know, like that would be yeah. incredible and then but you can be a famous writer i mean yeah fame i think used to be more associated with like adoration yeah and now it seems like a destructive force in people's lives and yeah. famous people used to feel like remote and kind of discreet and, and un- aspirational and now fame is about like letting people consume everything that's inside of you basically exactly yeah Yeah, that sounds (laughs) which is terrifying yeah sounds like a curse yeah i mean i think like famous people in the past were aspirational figures um who were like unattainable Mm -hmm. on some level and now i think it's almost attainable for everyone uh that they would that they might become through sheer force of will i think it was like caitlin flanagan who said like you know back in the day everybody dreamt of their 15 minutes of fame and now everybody who is like kind of a public figure dreams of like their 15 minutes of like privacy (laughs) right (laughs) personhood did you did either of you want to be famous when you started this podcast like for podcasting oh god no I didn't, mm, I just wanted to be, I didn't think about it. I didn't either, yeah. I wanted to make money. Mm-hmm. We had a real grifter mentality. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think we, we had both been broke for so long and kind of like living beyond our means, but also living kind of beneath our capabilities. And I, I can't speak for Dasha, but I just got tired of like the whole thing of like slumming it and being a loser because it was like, were you writing a lot then? Uh, yeah, but I'm sort of like a not really a writer. I'm like one of the I'm like a, a, a poor man's Fran Lebowitz, like in the sense <laughs> that I talk a lot about being a writer, but can't actually produce anything because it's like paralytic or whatever. Um, Do you so write I, every day? No. Do you journal? Close. I don't actually. What's your process? What's your process like? <laughs> I well, for a long time, I've only been writing when somebody's asked me to. Right. Which is the best. By the way, I feel like that's the best way to write when, yeah, yeah. when there's a deadline, yeah, because when really it's impor- it. enforced from above, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, 
so back to the influencer thing, you kind of identified this basic incompatibility between the fact that like the idea of the influencer is a person who's like cutting edge or like iconoclastic and the reality that so many influencers are kind of like vessels of basicness. Yeah. I mean, I still think that there's like, there's a cutting edge thing about certain influencers, but it can't really be qualified as cutting edge because the whole purpose of influencer marketing is to sell products. Right. So it has to be mainstream on some level. Yeah. I mean, it has to be relatable or it has to be aspirational to someone so it could sell the lifestyle to someone. Right. So would you say like the cutting edge aspect is less like how they present themselves or what they represent and more like how they use the means available to them, i.e. like social media, whatever digital technologies to like get ahead and like, you know, mark their like territory in the world. That the cutting edge part of their lives is their medium. Yeah. Like they're using like certain, sorry for this phrase, like modes of transmission available to them as opposed to like, they all use it in a very uniform way. Also, there's not a lot of, I mean the medium, of social media isn't it's like very doesn't feel very malleable yeah it is really interesting when you actually start to like go deep into like places that don't that are not attractive to you in terms of like influencers Mm. you know like forcing yourself to look at like youtube stars and these people that have nothing to do with your lives and to feel like the real dissonance between what they're doing and yourself and like what you feel is you know aspirational or even like someone like caroline calloway exactly Mm -hmm. you know like she's so frenetic and so like out of control to me like i when i watch her (laughs) because i only heard about her you know from that same that cut article yeah um, yeah, it like puts in perspective like what is like who desirable. Is, who is interested in this? Who's buying those <laughs> like cut out collages that she makes or whatever it is? And is that is that a person that I is anyone buying in that? my life? Yeah. I think that there are people buying it. I mean, I think there are people watch. I know of people who watch long makeup tutorials like constantly. Wow. Just like whenever they're they're at home because it feels calming to them. And are they invested in the personalities of the YouTube stars? Yeah, I think no matter what, you you have to become a little bit invested in them. And that's the whole goal. Are there any YouTube personalities that you are invested in? No, not (laughs) YouTube, I guess. And I don't know about Instagram either. I can't think of any. Yeah. Like no one that can sell me a product probably. You think? Yeah. I'm not going to say never, but I, like right now I don't find that because I'm so like I'm constantly studying that now mm. because like where I work, I work at like a branding consultancy and like oh, you do. I just constantly am trying to figure out like what people buy and how, what way that it's sold to them, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, this can't be sold to me because I'm sort of on the outside looking in but yeah, it will disillusion yeah me, i'm sure <laughs> you know yeah like one of those strategies will go right through me yeah well i mean I've, i think we <laughs> yeah about and you like, won't even you be won't able to tell it, yeah. yeah and when your freckle pen comes in the mail you'll <laughs> you'll wonder how it got to this point <laughs> right i lost my freckle pen and i need to oh, get God. <laughs> 
<laughs> my condolences. I mean, I have bought stuff from Instagram. Like sponsored ads. Yeah. Yeah. They, like they what work. what kind of stuff, though? Like um, sheets, I think. Okay. Brooklyn. Underwear. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Where my like, sleeper nightgown dress. Yeah. When I started getting ads for that, I was like, a nightgown you can wear outside. I was like, they've really, they've got <laughs> Wait, my number. What was, <laughs> they what know was exactly the what I'm interested in. What was the ad for, though? For sleeper nightgowns you can wear outside. Oh, okay. I was like, okay. don't you wish you could wear your pajamas outside? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, like, how did you know? <laughs> Yeah, like I mean, it's weird how like they tar- like they know when you're pregnant or whatever. But like, it's, <laughs> Do it's that. yeah. I mean, there's all these documented stories about how women's families or like significant others found out they were pregnant before they even technically knew themselves or whatever because of like certain targeting. Um, but like, I mean, as for like the sheets and the underwear, I think the reason that like I would like to think that the reason people like us would click on that ad is out of like a morbid curiosity. Like how does this stack up? Yeah. Compared mm. to normal. Well, there's I also don't know. The fact that it's kind of hard to shop for certain things in New York. Totally. Like, I don't want to go to bed, bath and me beyond. Cause it's like a nightmare. It's yeah. a hellhole. It looks like a zombie apocalypse. There. And everything sucks there. Yeah. And I went there when I needed to, when I moved into my apartment I was like, this was a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this wasn't what I wanted at all. I want like, brooklyn in right i want like snow with an e brand like (laughs) i just want the normal millennial generic thing i don't want like yeah this outmoded bad 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 beyond reality this isn't like it's amazing they're still in business i actually um one of my favorite essays is about abercrombie and fitch oh yeah i love that one yeah and how it like started off being this like very explicitly exclusionary brand mm-hmm. and then it's it's sort of journey through <laughs> becoming less relevant and then now this kind of like ironic reappropriation of it yeah wait is there an ironic reappropriation like are like well, dime I'm, square people wearing a enough i don't know i think so but i wrote that it's one of the oldest essays in the book mm-hmm. I, I wrote that probably in like 2009 oh wow or i mean 2000 it would like 12 i guess yeah like right after i moved and i think i foresee trend trend forecast yeah like and it'll a, be kyle brown spearheading that well, trend we do we um you guys went there yeah i went to one in paris that was extremely beautiful <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you walk through like a hedge to get to it. It like, looks like what's popular now, I guess. Like, but the old Abercrombie stuff, the old Abercrombie stuff, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's funny because if you go anywhere like in the third world, people are unironically wearing it. Right. And they're wearing old, kind of like old ladies in Chinatown now. wear it all the yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like, I feel like I couldn't like say that explicitly, but that is what I was imagining when I was writing that. It's like, I just see it a lot in Chinatown. Yeah. And that's ironic because they literally got in trouble for being racist against Asians, (laughs) (laughs) but also they got in trouble for a bunch of other things. Yeah. I remember reading those remarks that like Mike Jeffries, the CEO made about how they don't hire like fat or ugly people and being like, well, he's not wrong for the purposes of the brand. But he shouldn't have said he it. He shouldn't we're have not, said we're it. We're not allowed to say that kind yeah. of stuff anymore. Though, you know, as twisted as it is, it, it was kind of ballsy of him to say that. Oh, definitely. Right. I think it 
he was almost like ahead of his time yeah and it's but it's interesting how like kind of like the um mode of getting people to buy crap has shifted from being aspirational like chicks with perfectly manicured long red fingernails and like cowboy type guys smoking cigarettes (laughs) to like the whole like sex positive body acceptance thing which I mean, is like inclusive so it's gone from aspirational to inclusive no abercrombie is doing a campaign right now uh that's like fierce you know their signature scent and oh. it's like what makes you fierce with like pictures of like diverse bodies and stuff like, yeah and now they're they're kind of like like dwarves i saw the a dwarf yeah but like american <laughs> wow. eagle was they're like, like a non-retouched images or something yeah but american eagle who which was always like second fiddle to abercrombie is did that first like they literally featured like a model with down syndrome oh did they yeah wow yeah i buy my bras from airy because they're like cheap and disposable and (laughs) i remember like going through the site and there was like a model (laughs) in a wheelchair and then like a model like a down syndrome model modeling these Um. bras and i was like who is this appealing it's to. strange to not just shut it down and start again and you know yeah like the rebrand thing is really funny to me because it just proves that a a name sh- is like more lasting than we imagine i guess like right. it's like heritage brands are more important to yeah a larger audience but you're saying that essay like ostensibly like Abercrombie and Fitch is a failure, as was like American Apparel, the talk of bankruptcy and all the stores. Right, closing and they and did the same thing trying to rebrand. Like, we don't just cast like thoughty girls. Yeah. But. Well, the creative director of J. Crew took over at one point. Right. And tried to like clean it up and then was also ousted. And they had a lot of like uh, problems trying to fix the American Apparel <laughs> problem. Yeah. Mm. But do you think like, I. Do you think that we have to like go through it to like emerge kind of smarter and better? Like I think Patrick Sandberg said this that we have to go through this all this like woke stuff and me too and like hyper inclusive society. The culture wars. Yeah. I mean like there's no point in resisting it. Maybe. I'm like really bad at predicting stuff actually, even though it's like literally my job too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not I, I think sometimes I accidentally get it right. And then it's like, I amaze myself because I'm like, I got it so right. But yeah. most of the time I'm kind of like... Well, there's no way to really know. Yeah. Besides being clairvoyant. I mean, I'm pretty... It's like a little shocking, actually, that we're going through all this, um, I don't know, in- inclusivity um, campaigns or whatever you want to call them, when it did already happen in the 90s. Yeah. And it right. backfired horribly because it was called and- tokenization and all the things that it is, you know, it's like, yeah. you can't just put like a, a rainbow, you know, of races in your ad. And then suddenly everything you do is fine. Right. Like that's, and I actually like love looking at those ads now as sort of like inspiration for today. Cause I think they were a little bit more self-aware actually. Like uh, United, like United Colors. Colors of <laughs> yeah. Because th- those in particular were stunning. And also super controversial at the time. Literally, for like other black reasons. and white hands like, <laughs> yeah. touching each other. But that I think that was a little bit tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. And now these ones are they have less like humor. Yeah, and and they're less technically masterful. True. Which well, is, it's like, hard to aesthetically satisfying. Yeah. 
Yeah. And now it's like, you know, you had the Benetton ads, but then you had like the kind of CK, like Bruce Weber, like hyper attractive, ripped people thing. But both, they were equally valid because they were equally like compelling and attractive on some level. I think when I was young enough to be affected by the Abercrombie ads or just when they were going on, I was young enough to feel like bullied by them. Like, you know, I was like, yeah. that's yeah. not me. I'm so like, like goth and different. And like, I could never be running on the beach in a bikini. But then now I see them as these sort of like art pieces, like the ads. Yeah. Well, the Zizek, I ordered software. the 2003 back to school catalog which had like the zizek did the copy for really yeah and it's like it's really the whole thing is really cool all the catalogs they do like the magazines that they did are so great but that was the early aughts which was very much a response to like the culture war of the 90s which we we did we passed through it and in the early aughts it was like the emergence of more kind of this like cruel shocking like called like remorse remorseless kind Mm -hmm. of like you could do stuff like that. Right. And you could be a little bit Maybe more vicious. Maybe that's what's coming next. I hope so. <laughs> I think so. I think it's going to be a, a, a little bit more like diverse and like gender queer, but it's going to be very cruel and competitive. Um, I'm using cruelty in a good way, <laughs> in, a, in a fun way. Yeah. Like I think it'd be nice if things were a little more like brutal and like, not well, it all ends up being brutal anyway. It's the thing. It's like it's advertising. Yeah. It right. can't be friendly because that's not what it does. What it's supposed it, to do. But it's, it's, supposed it's to get really something interesting out now of you. because I think people are much more kind of like uncritical and accepting of it now, except for like the small pocket of people like on the left who are like, but this is just capitalism absorbing blah, blah, blah. And by now we like all get it. Um, In this essay in the 80s, you write, um, it isn't shame that the decade removed, but pretense. No one became their truer self by getting naked. They confronted a need for sexiness, competition, gender. And I feel like that could arguably describe our day and age, like especially with social media, um, where this the whole like push for like gender inclusion or sex positivity or like body acceptance isn't really about removing shame from the equation of taboo but like rationalizing people's need to be exhibitionistic and competitive absolutely and before it was like only hot thin white people could be exhibitionistic and competitive but now everybody can everyone gets a chance yeah (laughs) i mean yeah like the aesthetic of i guess like there's a new version of like exhibitionism that is a little bit more inclusive but then it engenders this aesthetic that's like completely unattainable and it's also like the super super photoshop aesthetic comes from that from from social media i guess face tuning and whatnot right it's like it's just never you can't win you know like you can't say okay everybody's invited to the party like yeah it's you're still you gonna some people all go to the rise party. to the top of your right. feed and then you'll still feel jealous somehow <laughs> i don't know it's just it's a vicious cycle i mean the algorithm favors some yeah and i think like that's when you get sort of these like out of control like inflated bodies or like you know, like sometimes I follow people that are just so 
retouch that they actually look like weird aliens. Yeah. And like that to me is like living on a new plane of existence. Like you don't even know. I don't know what these people look like. I can't imagine like what they look like in real life. Right. Like I wouldn't recognize them on the street because they're so completely retouched. Yeah. And it's, well, it's more confounding now because before there was like a standard of who got to be like displayed in public view and now it's kind of unclear i mean we sort of like know which boxes you can tick to like rise to the top of the totem pole um <laughs> and and you gotta you, put the dot of highlighter on the tip yeah of right um, <laughs> <laughs> um and you so i forgot which essay this uh, again in consulting you you talk about how like the idea of preparing for selfies makes made you feel sick and hopeless and you write <laughs> i'd never i'd never be as beautiful as i used to be back before smartphones existed yeah which i thought was really brilliant and astute because like things were just like so much more innocent back then yeah i mean i guess that's sort of a double meaning it's like i literally was more beautiful back then because i was younger but also can always remember myself as more beautiful than that because it wasn't being documented right you didn't have a front-facing camera right to gaze into you opened and like saw yourself as like job of the hut (laughs) or something and you were like and it's but it seems like now like within limit there's like more or less infinite potential for people with like even limited resources like us to improve our looks like Hmm, we can get a personal trainer you can get a group on for like (laughs) light cosmetic surgery Mm -hmm. um but on the other hand the kind of like standard of beauty has become so unreal like truly unrealistic and unattainable because it's not real it's like kim kardashian who's completely like an amalgam of different parts she's like that thing in the mcdonald's parking lot and like the you know like the the playground where you like spin the different characters (laughs) oh my god yeah it's like grimace on the bottom and big bird on top or whatever and she and she changes her look so easily with the makeup i um i'd like to read a quote from your essay on kim kardashian oh, okay oh yeah which is another one of my favorites um where you sort of posit her as like an inverse of trump um or like the reality star the the place that they like inhabit in our consciousness and you said kim is the giant salad she is always eating the closed mouth <laughs> smile she flashes at jostling paparazzi the impossibly flat midsection that hovers between impossibly round hips on paladin which are we place our insecurities about wanting too much. She's anti-feminism incarnate, and at the same time, she's the most complicated of female portrayals, complete with unfathomable fears concerning overexposure and obscurity. She's extremely uncomfortably selfish, and she published a surprisingly artful book called Selfish. She is the epitome of narcissistic tendencies and seems to have no qualms about becoming emblematic of American greed. (laughs) (laughs) When is that one from? That's pretty recent. Yeah. Um, and this was a commission or um no that one i just wrote that's why it's so long because no one edited it (laughs) yeah (laughs) you say also that the kardashians embody the fear of women a fear of aging of irrelevance of being subsumed or worse of being defeminized um and that's sort of a theme i think that you touch on a lot this like experience of femininity in another essay you say that you're like 
the wreck something about like the recklessness of being a woman being in love with that mm-hmm. and in the kim one sorry for doing this you say in our darkest fantasies we want to be good enough for a bad man young enough for an old man weak enough for a strong man the sex object on the back of a motorcycle driven by a maniac um i guess yeah i wanted to ask why that is something that you think or do you think that that is like a theme in your writing i'm yeah i think it's like something that I have a hard time with myself. With like fem- like femininity. Right. Like negotiating mm-hmm. like how much of a yeah, how much of it is real and how much of it is some sort of expectation that I have no control over and you know, like what is really coming from within. Right. And what is being sort of like desire like the manufacturing of desire. Right in a, the context of being a woman. Right. It's like, we have no way of knowing what we would be yeah, like what is what, in a vacuum. Yeah. But and there's an essay where you talk about like lying about your age to people. Do you have a fear of aging? Um, or like a fear of slipping into irrelevance? No, I don't. You don't? I mean, okay. Not really. I think, I don't think I've ever lied about my age. And, okay. Um, I couldn't get away with it anyway because i have a twin sister oh right right (laughs) she would have to lie about hers too but you guys would have to coordinate yeah my agent asked if it was possible to take my birthday out of my wikipedia (laughs) you asked that my agent asked me he was like is there a way to get your age taken off wikipedia and i was like why (laughs) i was like do you think i'm too old because as an actress you don't i don't know you want ideally to you know to be able to play younger parts to play younger and even if you ostensibly could if like people can google you and see that you're 28 or whatever you can they'll google have, anyone's age yeah right i was like yeah. no there's no way to take my age off of yeah <laughs> like it just is that's how old i am right uh, the the um dumbass who wrote my spanish wikipedia thinks i was born in 1986 not 1985 so i'm a year younger on the internet oh, cool nice. i'm gonna dispel that rumor here um <laughs> but yeah and you talk about also how um you you ask if you, um in one essay was i not irresistible to anyone was being irresistible to men what i wanted the most out of anything in the world have you answered that question for yourself <laughs> no no probably not <laughs> i mean i know that's not what i want the most out of anything right. in the world but i think it's like an interesting i mean it it definitely compels me to do certain things that i maybe wouldn't do if it wasn't for that desire you know to be attractive to men is that desire something you feel less attached to as you get older or more attached to i mean i feel less attached to it as i am in a relationship right (laughs) but i wonder if i was single if i would be even more stressed out about aging Mm. but i don't think i am really that stressed out about it now i i guess yeah my question wasn't so much about, I don't know, because I feel like it's not even about aging necessarily, but when I was younger, I was definitely like so much more of my self-worth was wrapped up in my relationships with men. Yeah, And as too. I get older, it feels, you know, less less important. I think, yes, me too, for, for me too. And but like, then there's always some but there's man a, that can like destroy all of that. Yeah, but just like a general kind of like desire for irresistibility. Yeah. I feel like alleviated. Or just a desire to be outside of 
you know, like being anxious about it, like to, to have that removed from your life, like the question of does everyone want to fuck me? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Do enough people want to fuck me? <laughs> Why isn't anyone fucking me? <laughs> but I think that that's like, it's not because I'm less desirable than I was when I was younger. I think that when I was younger, I was just more vulnerable. <laughs> Which is kind of desirable. Exactly. Yeah. You're like attain, you're more attainable. Right. But then that like speaks to the perils of getting what you want because then you realize like once it's the, all the data points to the fact that you are desirable and people, you have like multiple suitors and everything's going well, it, you still kind of feel like empty and cold and you're like, then you start to get paranoid that they want you for the wrong reasons and all in all likelihood they do and i don't mean any like status seeking reasons like money or no- notoriety but like people's sexual attraction is always like misguided on some level it's like that warhol quote about like romance is like finding the fantasy and people who don't have it you know hmm, yeah and then you start to think about kind of like the shallowness and voidness of the whole thing it's um, really hard to fill that void of what it's really hard to fill that void yeah the bottomless void yeah um i really like that quote that dasha mentioned about um you were talking about louis ck and you write how there are perverts everywhere and we should understand them because Mm -hmm. we should understand the world we live in and also like not to mention that perversity is like central to art right and like the shattering of taboos and you write, I wasn't ready to live in a world that censored a pervert honest enough to say that he was perverted. It was his fault. He shouldn't have done those things. It was my fault, too. Maybe I should have, shouldn't have loved his comedy. I shouldn't have shown that art dealer my tits on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I feel guilty about loving the recklessness that came with being a woman. And that last sentence, I think, is really crucial because like you start to see that like women who are on like a rampage maybe to like expose and crucify people like Aziz Ansari and Louis CK are suffering from like a case of buyer's remorse because they haven't squared for themselves what like they want and what their boundaries are. And when something goes wrong, the tendency not in women, but in all people is to blame somebody else. Right. Yeah. I think buyer's remorse is a pretty good way to describe it. I mean, Mm -hmm. especially in the case of, Aziz, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you're like, oh, that guy's an asshole and a bad kisser. <laughs> like, right. throw him in jail. It was so like I was when I read that story. I was like, yeah, I've been there. Like, I don't know anybody who hasn't been there. Yeah, like on a on a date with a person that you thought would validate you because of how well known and like rich they are. Or some, you know, there's something about right. them that's like you talk yourself into thinking that you really want to go on the date, but what you really, but you, what you actually want is to be around a rich person or, or to like, like get powerful, taken on a yeah, date. Yeah, you know? exactly. Well, the, the, the idea of feeling guilty about loving something yeah. that is like, mm, kind of rec- gross. yeah, kind of yeah. gross and, reckless and like complicated is something I think a lot of people have a hard time reckoning with that. They yeah. like do like it. Well, and that kind of is like the recklessness of femininity that I think I'm so, I just, I have such a hard time really understanding it in myself because I'm like, is it that I've been conditioned to want to be taken out on a date by a rich person or whatever it is, you know, Mm -hmm. and like feel not in control or is it that that's something deep inside me that I'm attracted to that's like, part of my being because I'm 
wanting to relinquish like i'm just control yeah like i just am attracted to feeling out of control right i think a lot of women are i I mean that's like kind of probably our our beef with feminism i mean i think that quote about how um wanting to be like young enough for an old man or uh what was the other thing Uh, good enough for a bad bad man. man like really kind of gets to the heart of the matter because i think it, it is really like prehistorical and like basically biological. It's like a reproductive impulse that manifests itself differently depending on the kind of conditions or circumstances of each age. And right. now the men are like tech bros and influencers and actors and whatever. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, they were like industrialists and bankers. <laughs> Or they're still bankers. Yeah, they're still yeah. bankers, yeah. <laughs> or in a motorcycle gang. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know. And like in any case, women throughout time were attracted to like the idea of like a bad boy or a rich man or the eroticism of powerlessness. Yeah. Well, and like even if it's not biological, because it's not PC anymore to say that that is a biological thing, and like who knows if it is or isn't. But even if it wasn't, I bet it would it would be really interesting to interview people who identify as specifically female and not non-binary mm-hmm. like female and say like are you attracted to recklessness <laughs> are you attracted yeah. to mm-hmm. feeling well, to like, like you are not in control of your life you know is I, that a feminine I characteristic <laughs> i mean it's funny like the more the more in control of my life i become the less in control i want to be because actually having a lot of control is tedious and boring mm. um but it's well, but i think like it <laughs> kind of it it's interesting because i think like without saying it you imply that like sex is the sexism of the patriarchy goes both ways and that there are certain things and women can do and certain perks that they can enjoy that men can't right like you can be like chaotic and maniacal and reckless Mm -hmm. in the bounds of a relationship or like a hookup in a way that a man can't and men find it attractive right you're celebrated for it yeah and yeah, what is the thing you said men love being like ruined they love by, to like, be tormented by whimsical chaotic yeah. thoughts <laughs> <laughs> they like to be tormented Manic and pun- what they secretly want is to be tormented and punished yeah right i think but this so on the question of uh, a desire or love for recklessness in your essay on like scammers mm-hmm. um you say the act of losing oneself for the chance at a new life a trip to America, a surplus of riches, a love connection might be the most human impulse of them all. The fallout of a scam or scam baiting is always sticky, which is its initial allure. It reveals some essential truth about how overwhelming a promise of something better can be, how much a person will put aside for the spice of life. And in that, like, I think what we were just discussing is like, does tap into something more like universally human. And you mentioned like 90 Day Fiance, I think, in that one too. And Love After Lockup. Have you seen that? <laughs> I haven't watched it yet. I'm too invested in 90 Day Fiance, but it's which is like never not on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but on Love After Lockup, a similar thing plays out where these people fall in love with these felons. Right. Who some of which are like clearly manipulating and scamming them, but they like are so ready to be willingly blind to it because they just want to feel something right and and on 90 day fiance it's like a lot of these relationships work out and you know you believe in their care for one another but the fact is that they were seeking out somebody yeah that is not in within reach they wanted to have yeah i mean lots of people on 90 day fiance 
like the um that big fat blonde lady who went to Nigeria. <laughs> oh yeah, she's back. <laughs> she's, back. she's on the new season. Is she still with the Nigerian guy? Yeah. But that's like, you know, that's probably like the best thing that's ever happened to her in her entire life. You it's know, so, it's so exciting. And like for her. you, it's I have a hard time even feeling bad for them for getting scammed because it's like, no, like they're having they're like the living their life. life. Like right. this is like truly she's going to Nigeria. Like that's <laughs> yeah. she's like never even left America before. She has to like navigate a whole new world. Right. And that's like really what you're paying for when you're like. Well, and I think that we're always taught that it's so difficult to travel and so so mm-hmm. many people don't like Americans a lot of Americans never leave America yeah yeah and, like, I, I read some show. crazy statistics that uh, like that like the majority of Americans don't have passports anyway sorry go I'm, ahead. I believe it I feel like yeah that's why my family doesn't yeah not to call them out <laughs> <laughs> no well it's also you know materially hard to travel it is but there but it's is like a little bit easier than we're taught i think like when i was definitely. growing up i thought going to europe would be impossible right and then it just happens and, <laughs> and you then it do it, did it and it becomes like second nature like a yeah. habitual thing i mean there's a lot of cheap tickets to europe yeah there are i know my sister sends them to me it's like 200 dollars yeah. to fly to porto wow <laughs> she's like the queen of that um but yeah it's like a it's motivated in fear Mm-hmm. And that's probably intentional to make people feel that way. Right. You know? To not go out and learn that there are better places. <laughs> America's yeah. not the greatest country on earth. <laughs> I had, this is kind of a digression that's from funny. anything that we were talking about. But when, you know, in Geneva, they have euthanasia. What? Right? Really? They have like assisted suicide clinics. Oh, I didn't know. They have that. one that's called Exit Society. <laughs> That's cool. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And like, I do consider myself, like I do believe in like the right to die and like, sure. But when I was in Geneva, because it was so like weirdly bleak and alienating, I had this epiphany where I was like, oh, it's probably like, mm, it's more sinister than just like the right to die. It's like some people have invested interests in making life unlivable for people. You know, yeah, and <laughs> wow. capitalizing you know? on yeah on their dads. giving them options to, and end it their made lives. the concept of assisted suicide suddenly seem very dark to me. Because I was like, if I lived in Geneva, I'd want to fucking kill myself. You, you know, think there's more. And if I could look just, up the statistics of like um, suicides in Geneva of assisted suicide, Switzerland, I guess. I'm not sure. No, Who, what country has the highest rate of suicide now? Well, suicide in to qualify for assisted suicide, you have to like uh prove that like your life is unbearable usually it's people who are like terminally ill or in a tremendous amount of pain but also like i don't think the impression i got was that it's not like that you can be like i'm chaotically depressed i want to end it well there was when i was coming they make it easy relatively easy for you to to end euthanize yourself yeah oh is this mine um, when I was coming back to the United States, there was the the case of this like Paralympic athlete who decided to end her own life because she had like a degenerative degenerative muscular disease. Mm-hmm. But before that, I think we maybe even talked about it. There is that seventeen year old girl in some Scandinavian country who was euthanized because she was like so horribly depressed because she really? had been like mm-hmm. raped as a child. Yeah. And that's like, you know, like I 
am like respectful of anyone's decision to end their own li- life but it really opens up a lot of like crazy like moral dilemmas well the thought i had that's <laughs> sorry i brought this up no. the, the thought i had no. about assisted suicide was i was like yeah sure like terminally ill people should have the option to cut their lives short or like yeah like i can get behind that but like if you're depressed if you're suicidal and you can't do it yourself then maybe you're not that suicidal and why, for the state why do you need help yeah <laughs> like for the state to step in and like help you end your life that's a little creepy yeah it's, it it creeps like, me or like just like if you really want to die you should like be able to take the to initiative do it yourself, to do it yeah. yourself or not well, even also, the state but like private companies right right even creepier. giving a little bit too much power to yeah to somebody other than you i mean if you were like raped as a child mm-hmm. and then some company is like we could put you out of your misery yeah it's like were right. you behind it the whole time what's <laughs> <laughs> the conspiracy because i've been you know suicidal and never attempted to end my life but like if there had been like a place i could go that would like an app for that yeah if there was an app for that like i'm sure i would have like done it a thousand times by now you know yeah (laughs) exit society Mm -hmm. (laughs) what do you mean by society (laughs) (laughs) um well there's like a a passage that you have about um like uh teens who grew up after the internet Mm -hmm. and you talk about how um they speak in this like hyperbolic internet slang and somebody who was the parent of a 10 year old child told you um they're either all suicidal or none of them are right which is crazy because even the language that we use like when you say casually like i'm suicidal like what does that even mean if you if you're 10 yeah if you're 10 or 14 kill yourself or the way that teens talk and that yeah that essay is about the increasingly like haunted terminology that's come to reflect our lives online right like trolling and viral virality ghosting, ghosting. Yeah. whereas we used to be like surfing the web yeah. and like yeah <laughs> and now we're like <laughs> becoming <laughs> entering an increasingly dystopian vocabulary right. yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, you talk about how like the casual victimization derived from a world of socializing apps has perfa- has perhaps created what we call a fuckboy and rape culture. And that's an interesting mm-hmm. point because I think like traditionally the conventional wisdom is that these words um, came about to describe pre-existing but yet like as yet unnamed concepts. But then there's also a reality where these concepts were invented by the slang itself and it's like a chicken or the egg thing. Yeah, well, I think of rape culture as, I think that there's like many definitions of that, but I think of it as only the people on like incel message boards, right. kind of like creating their own, their own language, you know? Yeah, like does rape culture exist like IRL? I don't know that it does like in the United States I don't in the think West, it doesn't. I don't think that's what it is. Like yeah. there's a rape, I mean, actually Vanessa Play said that it, rape culture is just culture. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Did you say that on your podcast? I don't remember. <laughs> sounds, yeah. <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like there was that news story recently about how like 16 people were convicted, were given the death penalty for um, 
setting on fire a living girl who dared report her sexual assault in Bangladesh. And like, you know, you can't really talk about this in like liberal elite circles because if you talk about it, it brings up all these like racist and classes, cultural, cultural things. But like you could make an argument that something like rape culture exists maybe in like Bangladesh or Saudi Arabia, but it's not even rape culture. It's not like a bunch of village elders, like sitting around a campfire being like, this is our like we're gonna go out raping it's kind of encoded in the culture at large like the treatment of women yeah it refers to like the permissiveness level of rape well also yeah it's like like, rape is not easily defined it's especially by the law is not easily defined and it's definitely differently defined by different cultures yeah i mean the way people use it in america is almost like because you're scared to walk home at night like you live in a rape culture because yeah. mm-hmm. you're projecting like paranoiac fantasies of sexual assaults on all the men you meet you're like believed to be inhabiting a rape culture yeah and all the men who are like not even paying attention to you because they're like busy carrying groceries yeah. or like checking their phones or something right. <laughs> they can't, can't even get it up yeah but even like a, <laughs> a concept of, like, all right <laughs> But even, like, the concept of something like a fuckboy, right? Like, that's, like, a type of man that I feel was, like, empowered, emboldened, even created by, like, the internet. Because back in the day, if somebody didn't call you or, like, page you back, there was always a plausible reason maybe they were caught up or something. Now, with, like, text messages, you can have, like, red receipts, like, whatever. Or you can like, just see someone's activity on the internet. Yeah, right. Happening in real time. Right. When There's they're not a, like, talking to you. There could not be a fuckboy before the internet because you couldn't possibly monitor right. the activities of the fuckboy. What do you... What do you define a fuckboy as? I don't... Actually, like, I, I think... I don't know the real definition, like how it started. Maybe I should. It like, started like to refer. It was like a streetwear, right? It's like a look. It's an aesthetic. Yeah, I think that's like where it originated. But now people just use it as like. I think I started hearing it, bef- like my first interaction with that word was more about like a guy that was like fucking with you you know oh and then later i was like told that it was a guy that wanted to fuck you but then like did this whole sort of like manipulative game of thinking that you were like dating but that you weren't or something i was like that's really specific i've always used it to refer to like frivolous male whores yeah yeah like Like, guys who are too concerned with fashion and not concerned enough with like like, manners right right or like a not necessarily a guy who's like manipulating you but a guy who's sort of like disposably sexually available you know or a guy that's just like constantly like like a reply guy i mean i think i thought of it as a reply guy before that term that was just like telling you that he was available but then like not making plans right (laughs) yeah but now i feel like just like the mere existence of this word has like given rise to a whole like class of guys who could be accurately classified as fuck boys and we see them around in chinatown all the time and it's like (laughs) a man in a bomber jacket Mm -hmm. who's like texting like 17 girls at once but it's like a very kind of like cusp millennial zoomer category of like guys also who hide behind their like fluid gender and sexual identity Hmm. to like get you to get let your guard down yeah (laughs) to give you chlamydia (laughs) 
But I did always like think of fuckboy as a primarily like fashion derived term because it was referring to like kind of a supreme fashion boy. I thought I thought it was like there's fuckboy and then there's like F U C C B O I. Yeah, which or, is you know, really there's good. like different kinds of fuckboy. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, and it's funny because then you start to realize, like, through the definition of fuckboy, that all women are kind of fuckboys oh, in a definitely. way. Yeah. <laughs> we play the same game. Yeah. <laughs> but and we like, love fashion. Yeah, yeah, it's true. How did you get interested in fashion? Was that something that you were always into? It's kind of embarrassing to talk about fashion. I know it is, but did I you want to be a fashion writer? Yeah, I did. did. Was there an influence? Did you like Sex in the City? I loved Sex in the City. Were you influenced by Carrie Bradshaw? Yeah. I don't know if I wanted to be that kind. I didn't want to be like a sex writer. No. But I I guess I liked the lifestyle that she had. Sure. I don't know if I ever really aspired to be her, but I aspired to be certain real fashion writers. Like like um everybody who wrote on style.com when it existed. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have influences as a writer that are apparent to you um you have like a renata adler quote and i love renata adler i i love um eve babbitts but i kind of came to her later yeah and cookie mueller cookie mueller yeah she's the best gene reese yeah i think is like a big one for me those are all great um (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. I always have a hard time like coming up with them. Like in terms of fashion writers, Kathy Horn for sure, but she's like super obvious. I think. Did you? When did you want to be a writer? When I was Early very young, on. I wanted to write poetry when I was very young. <laughs> Beautiful. Like dark suicidal poetry. Yeah. I guess. Were you goth? Um, <laughs> like I think I considered myself goth in like my super sheltered. Tucsonian Tucson way uh-huh. like yeah it's like Tucsonian. I don't know if there were a lot of goths I was a desert goth yeah as well <laughs> I like <laughs> but like looking at pictures of me young it didn't I didn't look that goth I just um, had black eyeliner and like purple hair same yeah you guys kind of had uh, I Literally can imagine like a similar, <laughs> yeah. there's a picture of me at the beach when I'm like 13 and I have like box dyed purple hair and like really long bangs oh yeah and i like look really i'm wearing like a sex pistols t-shirt and i'm really unhappy and i'm reading um elizabeth wurzel's like bitch (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that's the kind of uh, subcultures i was trying to ingratiate myself with right nonsensical more than yeah and goths are kind of not super angsty goth is specific yeah yeah, I guess angsty is a better word for it. Wait, um, goths aren't angsty; they're just gloomy. I don't even know anything about this. They're, I mean, if you really dig into like goth culture, it's pretty like flat. It's kind of just like darkness in general. You <laughs> yeah. know, and it's like, they're generally so preoccupied. With usually, darkness. really dorky. Yeah, darkness is a concept. Horror movies. Yeah, I don't know. Um, they like to dance. Yeah, like, they like to dance. There's a, there's a goth dance. Yeah, that I could never. But they dance so alone. Okay. They dance alone. They like to dance alone. <laughs> yeah, they like to do solitary dancing. Right. <laughs> it's like, and usually when I 
think of goths, I think of them as couples, weirdly, even though they're so lonely. Right. Yeah, there's always like a goth girl They're codependent. And a goth guy, yeah. Um, it's funny because um, <laughs> I forgot where I was going with this, something about goths, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> never mind, forget it. Um, so, okay, in Fashion Film, which is another essay in the book you write, um, by design, fashion is elitist and therefore will always necessarily be ugly and hypocritical, but this inability to resolve into some moral right or wrong mm. is what makes it so irresistible. Do, do you ever feel gross being interested in fashion or like being a fashion writer like this is something that i feel like profoundly gross about because i'm like really into fashion and have like a really serious working knowledge of it somehow like men with sports stats yeah same yeah i i mean i know a lot about fashion and i do feel gross about it i think i respect like fashion movements more than I respect art movements, you know? Why is that? I don't, I just have more of an interest, but I don't know why that is. Okay. I, I think I'm sort of justifying it now by saying like fashion is a little bit more, it's almost more ethical because it's more self-aware of its right. like market marketability. Right. It's relationship to commerce. Right. And, right. Whereas yeah. art, sort of postures in this moral right. high ground when it's like completely connected to finance. <laughs> yeah, and so it was really gross when <clears throat> fashion start like piggybacked on the art thing and started doing the resistance pink pussy hat thing because mm-hmm. it was so much more transparent. And yeah. like they were better off not doing it and everybody would have understood. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean it's really hypocritical when fashion tries to take itself super seriously and have a moral high ground yeah. it doesn't like, make any sense with like wh- the medium you know it's yeah. like it's like it's being like, on instagram and saying like i'm leaving instagram <laughs> you know like it doesn't work yeah. that way yeah yeah and there's always like this moment mm-hmm. that you have when you're like at a cool fashion party and everybody is trying to distance themselves from being there you know and you always feel like monstrous and ugly and not because you look worse in comparison to the other people but precisely because you look good and you look the part and you look like you belong there that's like the the dark cynical feeling yeah and i think it took me a while to figure this out but it's like being a fashion writer is actually the best place to be at those places because Uh or it's like the best um, look to have right you know like you can dress sort of dowdy and like not current season something yeah you, and so then you just like say a, you're a writer you have a purpose right sort of for being there that's mm, yeah and that, sometimes i would and like it gives you an outsider status or something like right and it kind of a commercial looks purpose yeah. like you're not participating as much in the sort of like i don't know fashion victim world you're the, just the desperation kind of reporting on it but right. then like there were like I think the first times that I was like going to fashion shows, I really tried to like look the part and it just ended up being like so wrong. Like Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like I'm gonna get like all vintage Gautier and like yeah. look really wild and then I show up and it's like it doesn't matter how cool you think you look, you're not wearing like current season something. It doesn't even register to people. That's so crazy. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I mean, now, I, I think that's the way it to, is now, but it didn't used to be that way. Yeah. 
I'm not that interested in fashion. No, you're not. This is like one of your uh, virtues as a person. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I like clothes. I like style. I'm like invested in style. Mm -hmm. But I just, yeah, I wish I don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like don't talk about it, actually. Or like I I try not to reveal like how little I know. Yeah. Because I feel makes me feel stupid or something. I mean, it's a losing battle because either way you look stupid. If you don't know enough, you're not like in enough and if you know too much you're like a vapid and vain loser and Mm -hmm. it's bad either way (laughs) it's a very i think like fashion is the most insecure industry which is why as you say in a way it's the most it's like the least embarrassing ironically of all the creative industries because it's aware of its own like total insecurity yeah Mm. and it's also i've i think i'm just like learning this after years of being invested in it i'm like showing up to things and trying to really like show off how much I know about fashion. And that's always a mistake Yeah, because the conversations at fashion events are. Yeah. um, What do they talk about? They're just (laughs) small talk. Like you have to be as like unopinionated as possible. It seems like (laughs) I think that's like the goal generic. And I don't know why I'm not like, do you like like fashion week? I actually do. Yeah. Me Controversially. Too. I think no, it's I mean, fun. I <laughs> There's a lot of parties and I like parties. Love parties. <laughs> yeah, parties are fun. I mean, the fun. Love like, to feel you, like included. Invited. Yes. Invited. Yeah. And that's the whole point. Yeah. That's, that's what I like. <laughs> yeah. But it's like this tightrope of like feeling, uh, in like feeling like in and invited, but also not feeling like everyone's invited, mm-hmm. which is like, kind of a scam everyone can't be invited (laughs) as we've established (laughs) we can't all come to the party and it wouldn't be a party right then it's just walking around free for all (laughs) um what anything else (laughs) yeah no i mean what do you feel is going on with fashion now because we talked about kind of fashion on a, a prior episode like a couple of episodes back and it seems like there's kind of like this moral fatigue and people don't care as much about like brands or looks and i actually think like um probably uh damno guasalia and balenciaga is to blame or to credit for that mm-hmm. because they they really like i mean i said this on an earlier episode this is like one of my like annoying repetitive talking points but they really shifted kind of the I guess Overton window of fashion from like having a brand specific look to having a general like framework of seeing yeah well I think I think what he's doing is sort of making like fashion about fashion Mm -hmm. and and fashion fans love it but then also art fans love it because it's so esoteric but then it's also like pretty wearable like it's 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 like because it's so referential I mean, to it's things just, that already exist. Yeah, and it's like, I don't think it's that popular in New York, but I noticed in Paris, just, it was a very, mm-hmm. like, prevalent look, like, those silhouettes. It's very, like, like, club kid in Berlin, kind of, right. but, like, fashion, you know, but, like, beautifully made. And, like, there's just, it's, like, a thing in other places more than it is here, I think. It's it's very European. I think it's like 
references are much more european than we know because i keep then americans can appreciate yeah yeah, like i find out like where exactly these logos come from and they're like specifically referencing some like grocery store that we're not aware of or whatever yeah but um but yeah i think like in general fashion is um i mean with the what we were saying earlier about like the targeted ads on social media and how they can like figure out like you want to wear a pencil skirt like right now and it doesn't really matter what brand it is and Mm. they like literally just like ship it to you you know the next day when you're like already kind of like summoning it in your mind (laughs) it's like they're reading your mind and you're not gonna wait around for the next season yeah and like the little net-a-porter truck rolls up to your doorstep (laughs) Yeah, yeah it's like that's definitely going to shift sort of the idea that we have that like fashion brands are so important or that like heritage in fashion is important because I mean, what's cutting edge right now is kind of like fashion Nova or like these like knockoff places that aren't even like, they even have their own aesthetic after a while. They're not even really knocking anything off. They're kind of like generating clothing based on taste that they're right. reading from well they're like crowdsourcing yeah what? i mean that's what brandy melville does yeah right <laughs> which i didn't realize was italian fashion. yeah yeah Very well, I, fascistic it was italian. I, was, I was just in italy and i saw a lot of them there. yeah no it's italian and the origin of the name is like about brandy melville is a american girl who marries a um a British boy. But where does she live? In England with him, I think. Or like that's, I mean, I don't know where she lives, but that's like, <laughs> the fantasy of Brandy Melville is like, is kind of like the Caroline Calloway fantasy of like, wow. American Girl at Oxford. Does Caroline Calloway wear Brandy Melville? I doubt it. D- yeah, doubt it strongly. <laughs> um, Though it's unclear what brand she wears. She has she, a sleeper, she has a sleeper um, pajama set. I, I noticed. I mean, that type of influencer is like, those are like the cutting edge fashion influencers that, you know, they're not cutting edge in any way. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't know what those clothes are. (laughs) I don't know where they come from. And they're probably being like shipped out next day to a lot of people that, you know, it's like so outside. That's what I'm, that's what I like get kind of wrapped up in I'm like who is that like who are these people and they're going to change fashion so I have to know right well like who goes to fashion who's like front row at fashion shows now um not bloggers and right I mean there's like the usual contingent of like bloggers and writers and stylists and buyers I'm sure but yeah I think it's kind of the same it's the same I mean celebrities if they go the usual. I was front row at Balenciaga. Right. (laughs) But actually, that show was incredible because it was a spiral. Uh Like the the John Rothman thing. No, No, it was. Um, it was like this set that was sort of like a. It was completely blue velvet, like the carpet and the chairs and the curtains, and then all the seats were in this spiral. So actually, I was in the middle, but it wasn't the front row because like Anna Wintour and all the like real front row people were in the outside. Oh, like they were like at the beginning of the spiral. Right. So it looked like the back row, but they were actually, I guess considered front row. 
and I was like last row, <laughs> but it was kind of the best yeah. viewpoint. Incredible. Yeah. I love to be invited. <laughs> <Me too. laughs> and but, I do love parties. I think there's real virtue in partying. Yeah. Parties are fun. Yeah. But it's, it's weird because it's almost like it's relevant to like a very tiny sliver of people whether or not you're there because basically you can watch it in real time on I know fashion media. shows don't need to happen anymore yeah they really don't which is like but I it's feel nice like that they do yeah. it's nice they do but all the culture wars that play out in culture at large like in writing and media and like Hollywood etc already happened in fashion to some extent like it's the most like hyper accelerated form of cultural production fashion is. yeah but in some ways it's really behind you know yeah i, I mean it's like, like in, acting on a it's it's acting out a model from like hundreds of years ago. yeah <laughs> it's like it's such a silly event it's Did like the Fran- france invented fashion right the fashion show just in general yeah as a concept yeah. it was the french right <laughs> Right, I guess. Who, who yeah, we're who like we know so much about property. fashion. And we're like, I don't know. I'm like, who made it up then? Yeah. If you like fashion, then who was the first one? <laughs> no, I literally just fantasize about owning like many, many pairs of sheer black tights. Yeah, and just wearing Calcedonia. those for timeless. I mean, I kind of am the same way. I don't actually like wear a lot of fashion. Right. It's but not have, in my interest at all. It do you like, covet like certain things? I shop on the real, real, but I'm usually I usually regret what I buy. Yeah, you can return it. Yeah, I know. I do. It's so hard to. I know. It's <laughs> really it annoying. Like I've, every once in a while, I'm like, maybe there's something I want that's Prada that's cheap. Like yeah, I just like I, I do, do love too. Prada and I love like certain brands and I'm like that might be like what like today might be the day what you've been missing yeah and then I'm like but do I really want to be that person wearing Prada like I don't know if I even do oh. no I mean I had that moment because I was in Paris recently also and I went to like London and I went to, to the Prada stores and like tried on Prada stuff and then I felt so guilty and monstrous that I just went to China and bought a bunch of like knockoff Prada and Miu 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 crap it was right. just mm. like and that feels almost more like rewarding because nobody can tell yeah. the difference anyway right but it's also like advertising the fact that you have like what you said like have been interested in fashion which right. feels disgusting and interested enough to know what brands are relevant and then also advertising the fact that you spent a lot of money on it right it's just kind of embarrassing yeah <laughs> yeah like you're basically advertising that you spent a lot My of money on something that you're gonna regret I, you <laughs> just know. brandy no well i mean i i like i got a really lovely like vivian westwood blouse in paris but i have like no idea like, what vivian season westwood. it's from i've no you know i just like like it out of you know yeah no i love vintage shopping and like knowing yeah when i when i like find when i hunt and then find a brand and i'm like nobody knows that this is so important except me right. like that's kind of the value of none of yeah. brands none of my sartorial choices are like made out of like a knowledge of fashion yeah really. they're more like i because i like costumes some they're like yeah <laughs> like, like such a whimsical retard <laughs> um we've we're like an hour and a half okay oh wow until we could do you have any um anything else you do i have any say? other questions um or natash 
Um, yeah, I don't. I, I don't. I mean, I do, but it's probably. Who do you take think is the most famous person you know? <laughs> that I personally know. Yeah. <laughs> that that is alive in that the world. You, yeah, <laughs> that you can say you know. Oh, I'm not like friends with a lot of famous people. I'm not like mm-hmm. Patrick Sandberg. Right. <laughs> Patrick really showed me the ropes. He He's really like did. my mentor, kind of. Um, but he he's really good at making friends with celebrities, and I'm really good at um, making sure they never want to speak to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, who do I know that's famous? No one. No one. No one's like... Famous. famous no one's famous fam- but that's the thing i mean that's like everyone's the- famous and no one's no, famous. yeah the whole nature of fame is completely i mean they're famous different now to me yeah they're all famous <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's nothing more horrible and like demoralizing than the feeling of knowing that you're famous to somebody you think so? Yeah, for mm. me. Uh, like, do you hate being stopped in the street? No, I mean, it's really nice when, because it's very, like, oftentimes it's very positive, And I assume it's the same way for you. I mean, like. For me, it's never happened to me. But it w- <laughs> it's going to happen. But it's like, I think, with, I think it's like really sweet <laughs> when, when we've like helped young people think through certain things. Right. And like that sort of thing is really sweet. But like the the thought of like being um desirable in a non-sexual way or enviable is fundamentally soul crushing i mean my breakup really put my level of fame into context for me really yeah because i was getting like death threats since you know yeah like i don't know if you would call that fame or notoriety or whatever but i like i was like wow i don't I'm like a public facing person. Right. And these people shouldn't have access to me. Yeah. And somehow something's gone horribly wrong and they do. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And now like, yeah, my life is not my own. Right. But I don't feel like, you know, that's not a constant crushing pressure that I live with. It was just like a rough couple But I mean, it is, it, it's a pressure to perform that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You already had a pressure to perform because you're an actress, but yeah, you're Fuck. an influencer. Also. <laughs> I'm not an influencer. I don't sell anything. That's yeah, true. That's, I mean, I think that's there's a like, very important distinction. Which I, and I would, <laughs> but no one asks me to because I don't think I like have cultivated enough of like a relatable aesthetic. Or right. like persona, I like, yeah. Because I look, I'm like into or like ab- a, the object. Like a, yeah, so you don't too, have a you, sanitized in some way, like, yeah. persona. Like I think yeah. influencer marketing, like the people that actually kind of um, grow these relationships with people with followings. I don't know. Yeah. It's so hard to talk about it because like, no, I know. It's, there's no language for it yet. But you know, it's like there's, there are agencies that kind of, like seek out people with probably people like your following count puts you in the i don't know what your i get the random email from some fake company that (laughs) we could put you in touch with right like i don't want but that's the thing is like those companies also are kind of calibrating how much of a risk you would be to brands and most brands 
don't want anything to do with like any risk. It's exactly. like that's what ends up being. And for me, I would jeopardize the integrity of my brand yeah, if I was like, yeah. yeah, selling like collagen pills on my yeah, Instagram right. or whatever. <laughs> right. So it's like a but I would, for the record, I would do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if someone wanted to trust me with. Well, it's Hawking also so funny that like brands are so risk averse because actually they probably stand to make more money if they take on some risk. Right. But there's just been so many examples of like influencers kind of going haywire. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Spewing racist vitriol. <laughs> right. Or like, like going on a live podcast and not being able to finish a sentence. Yeah. You know? It's like they can like edit their own content and so yeah. they know how to do that and make themselves look marketable but then once right. you kind of let them out into the world anything could happen feel like you're in like a ryan tricartan movie <laughs> and everything's going wrong <laughs> um well thank you so much yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having coming me on this was really Natasha. fun um everybody should buy natasha's book sleeveless and surveys thanks. and surveys too are yeah. you gonna write another novel i want to i'm you should i'm trying yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay see you, in hell. See you in hell see you in hell